Today, as always, what do we do here at Cornerstone? We inspire and equip people to follow Jesus. What's that word? Wholeheartedly. Hey, that was pretty good. Because we know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life and brings glory to God in the process. Welcome to those of you who are watching on demand. I know that many people check out a church online before they come and show up in person. So if that's you, we welcome you. Or if you're part of our congregation and just watching it when and uh, you are able, then we're glad that you're staying connected through this means. And for those of you who are watching online on Sunday morning, welcome. And of course, to those of you who are on site, which I think is our premier experience where you get to rub shoulders and see people in person, face to face, welcome to you as well. And if anybody is new here, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you as we encourage you in your spiritual journey. So the way that you can do that is let us know who you are by texting the word new to our church number, 603-225-2550. Okay, so we are what is probably going to be the last message of a series that we started over the summer through the Psalms called Permission to Be Real, where we've been going through and seeing how in the Psalms we see people being real and authentic and transparent before God and taking from that the encouragement that we also can be real, authentic, and transparent before God and with one another as well. Over the summer, I got to use a new toy that I got. It's something that I had wanted for a long time and had been on my wish list for a long time, and I got it uh, for Christmas last year, but I didn't use it until this summer, and that thing is a portable uh, fire pit called a solo stove. Anybody know what those are? Several of you. Yeah, I found out later several of you have them, uh, but I thought that was really cool because basically it has a unique design. It uh, is nearly smokeless when it gets going. It's easy to clean up, and it's portable, and I thought this would be perfect, so I put it on my list. I debated because it's kind of expensive, but I thought, oh, you know, if every Everybody in the family goes together and gets it for me. That might be okay. So they got it for me for Christmas last year, and it sat in the box until this summer. And this summer, I created a little uh, fire pit spot in our yard and set it up and ran it for the first time. And I loved it because it was the easiest fire I'd ever gotten started. And it was warm and it was smokeless. I didn't smell like I had been rolling around in ashes afterwards. And uh, it was easy cleanup. And so I started talking to other people about it. And I was letting them know how much I loved it and finding out, like several of you raised your hands, that some of you have one as well. Now, what happened there notice the pattern, is I heard about it, and then eventually I experienced it, and then I couldn't help but talk about it and tell others about it as well. In this psalm that we're going to be looking at today, Psalm 145, you're going to see that same pattern where people's tongues are unleashed. Why? Because they had heard about God, then they had experienced him personally, and that led to just talking about him and sharing him with 
others. So that's why I'm calling today's message Unleashed. And you might remember that earlier in the year, I laid out these three objectives that we were prioritizing, returning to Sunday mornings, restarting our children's ministry, and rallying around the mission. And if you think about rallying around the mission, that's probably the key, even though it's third on the list, it's probably the key, most important one. Just a couple of weeks ago, I did a message called Great Church, What Makes a Great Church? And we said that a great church has a great commitment to the Great Commission and to uh, the Great Commandment. And that idea that we are committed to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of others is dependent upon us telling others. And, and in our culture, and depending on your personality, that might be a, a difficult thing to do. But I'm an introvert. I don't necessarily go and tell other people about everything that I've tried, but I've told people about my solo stove because I love it so much, <laughs> right? And so if we are going to rally around the mission and accomplish our mission as a church of going and making disciples, people need to hear about Jesus to the point where they experience Jesus and then they will talk about Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then th there's, there's some kind of breakdown. You know, I could get up here and try to just say, you've got to tell your friends about Jesus. You've got to talk about Jesus wherever you go. But if you haven't heard about Jesus, and if you haven't experienced Jesus, then you're unlikely to talk about Jesus. So this is really key to us rallying around the mission, accomplishing our mission as a church is do we, have we heard the gospel or have we experienced the gospel? If so, then we will probably tell people about the gospel. We see this, for example, in Jesus' words to his disciples when they were, when he was getting ready to return to heaven after the resurrection and they were saying, what, what's, what's next? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? And he said, that, don't worry about that timing, but here's your mission. And here's what he said. And you will be my witnesses. Let's say it all together. Witnesses, witnesses, right? You will be my witnesses. What is a witness? It's somebody who's seen something and tells something about that experience, right? And that's what he's saying. You're going to be my witnesses telling people everywhere. And that's underlined because that's going to be a theme. I'll, tell, I'll explain a little bit more about that later. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, you're go you've experienced something. And now everywhere you go, you're going to tell about it. But if they had not experienced something, if there had been no resurrection, then there would be no church, there would no be, be no Bible, there would be no us today, here, and now, because it was their experience that prompted the telling of the story. So, this really is rooted in this idea of experience. If we're going to find our, if we're going to accomplish our mission, then we have to have something, we have to have a story to tell. And the reason sometimes we don't have a story to tell is because we really haven't decided for sure whether this is all real and whether I can really trust God. And so the question that's at the top of your growth guide is actually this. Can I really trust God? Can I really trust God? Now, you all know the Sunday school answer to that. Well, of course you can trust God. But when you're in the midst of a particular situation, 
where your faith is tested, where your prayers seem to go unanswered, then you too, regardless of your experience, background, teaching, training, are going to have this question from time to time. Can I really trust God? And so today what we're really talking about is God's character. Is he trustworthy? And what this psalm presents is the experience of the psalmist, of the community of followers of God, that that their testimony, their experience, and what they're going to tell us is that my God is powerful, my God is good, and my God is available. My God is powerful, good, and available. And so the challenge for us, the way that we could practically apply this is if you know these things, then to act on them, to take action based on that trust, or as I worded it, act as if what you've been taught about God is true. What you've been taught about God is true. If that was really true and you really believed it and you could count on it, what would you do? Do that. Let's look at it together. Again, this is Psalm 145. It is uh, towards the end of the book of Psalms. So if you split your Bible in half and then go a little bit to the right, you should find it. I'm reading from the New Living Translation for those of you that have a device and want to follow along and get to choose which version you are reading. Let's look at it together. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger, hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close 
to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He, desire, he grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord, and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray together. <laughs> Heavenly God, God, as, as, as we, I always seem to do each week, I thank you for your word, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have shown us what you are like by your written word and by the word incarnate in Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word today, that you would speak to each one of us, that you would give us the encouragement, the strength, meet every need that is here, correct, convict, lead, guide. We declare our willingness to hear from you, and we thank you that you are eager to speak to us. We pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to obey, and feet that are quick to follow after you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in, in the introduction, it's setting up this idea that God is powerful, good, and available. And the tongues of the psalmist and his listeners, his community, are being unleashed to talk about their experience of God and what he is like. So it starts out by saying, I exalt my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. A couple of things about this verse. You'll notice I switch translations because unlike anywhere else in the scriptures, it doesn't say my God and King. It says my God, the King. And what it's saying here is this is what it's like if God is your king. This is the experience that you can expect if God is your king. And it's talking about a very expansive view. It's uh, just, this is to the nth degree in everything. And that's why, number one, it's an acrostic poem. So if you were to read this in the original Hebrew, every line of this psalm begins with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, why does the psalmist do that? It's hinting at and pointing to the idea of the all-encompassing nature of what they're talking about. We talk about Jesus as the Alpha and Omega. That is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. God is it from A to Z. And so, or in this case, from, I think, Aleph to Tau. So it is the whole alphabet, and it's going to go through it. Uh, emphasizing this idea of completeness. The other thing that if you were to read this and count, there are in a literal translation about 16 alls or everys. It's just all the time, everywhere, talking about how good and powerful God is. And so just to reinforce that, wherever I saw something that was kind of all-encompassing, forever, everybody, all, everything, I've underlined it so you can follow along 
song in that. So it starts out, I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. Goes on to say, I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. His tongue has been unleashed. And why? Because he and his community have heard about God and now experienced God, and now they're going to tell about that experience. So, what have they noticed or learned about God? There are two main themes that run throughout this psalm, and they are summed up in verse 3. It says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. Great is the Lord is talking about his power, his expansive power, his omnipotence. And then Not only is he all-powerful, but he is completely good. He is worthy of praise, worthy of praise, praise praiseworthy. So it first talks about God's power and then talks about his character. Because some people are powerful, but they aren't good. And some people are good, but they don't have a lot of power. But here we see in God that he is all powerful and all good. And he sums it up like this. No one can measure his greatness. Great is the Lord, worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. In the first part, it emphasizes this first part of the bottom line, that my God, it's a very personal thing. That's why I put my and had you write that in there. It's my God. This is a personal experience. It's powerful. My God is powerful. And that's what the first main section talks about after the introduction. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. So now I'm got my underlining and I've got my highlighter out. So throughout this, whenever you see this grape color, that's talking about God's power, his mighty acts and his power. And notice that once they're, they're hearing about it, one generation tells the next, then they experience it and then they tell it. They keep passing it on. And this is why I love to be a part of a church that is multi-generational. There should be everything from newborns to people who are, uh, are uh, the, the seasoned saints among us. Every generation. And what are they doing? Their tongues are unleashed to tell of their experience and how good God is and to pass that on to the next generation. So it's multi-generational. And it's also very personal as well. So we get together, we, our, our hope, and remember that second priority, expand and uh, can restart our children's ministry. That's an important part of our priorities because we cannot drop the ball with the next generation. But notice what he says next. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. The personal, first person, I that uh, he's not only getting together and telling others, but he's off on his own meditating, kind of turning it over and over again in his mind. Yes, we're going to have multi-generational, but there also needs to be that time where you get alone with God, where you read, reflect, and respond to God's word. And that's why we emphasize this idea of life journaling, to make sure that there's a time 
every day where you read and respond to God's word. That's what he's talking about here. I'm meditating on your splendor and your miracles. What's he, what's he meditating on? His power, God's power, the, the great things that he has done. And why do you do that? Because it builds your faith when it reminds you of what he has done. Many years ago when we were searching for our house, it was looking pretty bleak because we were living in an apartment. We had just had our fourth child. There were, it was a two-bedroom apartment that we lived in, and we had perfect timing because when we sold our house in Florida, it was right before the market exploded, and then when it became time for, our, for us to buy a house, the prices were at the peak at that time. The bubble was blowing up big and fast. So yes, our timing was beautiful in that, uh, but God's timing was good. And so at that time, it seemed rather hopeless because there was no way, and some of you can relate to that right now. You're saying, there's no way I'm ever going to have a house. You know, I'm going to be renting for the rest of my life or some, some experience where you feel hopeless. Well, we just did not see a path from where we were to where we wanted to be. But God is powerful. And I can say that based on experience because we had people that gathered around us and one, one couple in particular that sat down with us and said, what do you need to get into a house? And the, the, the end result of that was a, a property sale and a check written that was equal to about one year's salary for me at that time in order for us to get into a house. And that's why we live in the house that we live in right now. It was impossible. Did we have the power or resources to make that happen? Absolutely not. But I know somebody. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the dollars in every bank account. And he can make a way where there seems to be no way. He is powerful. And he gave us a story to tell. So that's what we're talking about here. We tell those stories from generation to generation. We meditate them on, on them personally. And then what happens is we end up telling that story because we just can't help it. It's such good news. And it's a part of our story. That's what's described in the next verse. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Again, every tongue everywhere. And that reminds me again of Acts 1-8 where it said, you're going to start out. I've given you a story to tell. You've got an experience. You're going to tell people where you are, but you're going to be my witnesses. It's not an exhortation. It's just a statement of fact. Everywhere you go, this story is so compelling that you're going to tell everyone everywhere. It's going to start right in your hometown. It'll spread to your region and then the region next to you and eventually to the four corners of the earth. The story is going to get out because your tongues will be unleashed by the magnitude of the experience and you'll be talking about God's power. Then it goes on to the next section because again, power is great, but if it's not wielded by someone who is good, then you're going to have problems. But 
the good news in this psalm is that my God is not only powerful, but my God is good. And that's the next theme. Everyone, again, all-encompassing, will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Now, I've highlighted the unleashed tongues, the sharing of the story, the singing with joy. But now the emphasis has shift from God's power to his goodness, saying you can trust God's goodness. He will wield his power with goodness. Then it goes on to actually quote, I think it's Exodus 34, 6. It's in your bulletins, your, your growth guide. Uh, when God was going to reveal himself to Moses and show him who he is and what he is like, this was the way he summed up his character to Moses. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. In other words, you can trust God. You don't have the fear that you have is a healthy reverence, but you can uh, you can experience that reverence knowing that that awesome power that he has is going to be leveraged for your good. You can trust him. He goes on to say, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. So again, just saying, you know, yeah, we're God's people and yes, uh, but every tongue is going to be able to have a story to tell and he is good to everyone. Jesus, I think, was picking up on this theme in the Sermon on the Mount when he said this in Matthew 5:45. for he, God, gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He makes the sun to shine on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. It's actually worth reading this whole little section and think about what God is saying and then what we are sometimes encouraged to do with people in opposition or people that are uh, we would consider on the other side or enemies. Listen to what it says. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And of course, love your neighbor was in the law. Hate your enemy was a conclusion that they drew. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, <coughs> and this is a key, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If you love only those that love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. The idea there is mature even as your father in heaven is perfect. So it's again, emphasizing the all encompassing nature of God's goodness that he leverages in his power for the benefit of every one. And then what is our response? Our tongues are unleashed. All your works will thank you. Saying all of creation is going to praise your name. All of your works will thank you and your faithful followers will praise you. Uh, I was talking to someone 
uh, and this is a com- co- uh, conversation that comes up pretty often because it's about anger, and there are very few people that don't e- deal with anger at some point or another, and we were just revisiting this this morning, that anger, the best definition of anger that I've heard is a blocked agenda, a blocked agenda. You want something, but something is in your way keeping you from that, and that you are angry at that thing in that time. But I was talking about how my perspective on God's sovereignty, his power, and his goodness has helped me in dealing with my anger, with my blocked agendas. And what I came to, meditating on it, and also from experience, is that I decided that anytime I have a blocked agenda, rather than getting angry, I'm going to trust God in this specific way. That he is, by blocking my agenda, by keeping me from something that I think I want, he is actually saving me from some trouble or trial ahead, or he is saving me for something better. He's saving me from something, or he's saving me for something. And that will change and rock your world. Because that means, think about this for a second, that means if God is all powerful and he is good, there is no agenda blocking mechanism that can stand against him. And if his agenda for you is your good, then nothing is going to stand in that way. And so I can trust when my agenda is blocked that God is sovereign and powerful and good and he's either saving me from something that I really don't want or saving me for something even better. That's what a life of trust looks like is to be able to say that God is good, God is powerful. I can entrust myself to him. And that leads in to this third section, which is about God's availability. You see, it's one thing to be powerful and good, but if I'm powerful and good, but I don't make myself available, if I don't leverage that powerful goodness for your benefit, it's still not going to do you any good. But what the scriptures are saying here is not only is God good and not only is God powerful, but he is also available to you. He's going to take his awesome power and his unbelievable goodness and leverage them for your benefit if you'll only let him. I've been quoting the, the commentator that I've been using as a primary source for this, and I love the way he sums up this section. Uh, and he just quotes basically from a literal translation of two of the verses in this section. The king of heaven, remember this is what my, my God, the king, this is what it's like to have God as your king, is a God of the open hand, which speaks to his generosity and the available presence. He is there for you. The section starts out in verse 15, 13, second half of the verse. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. He is a promise-keeping God who is good and gracious to us at all times. And then it 
goes on and just gives little snippets, little pictures of what that looks like, that God is there for us and available to help us. Next verse, the Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. I love, I've been enjoying going through the Psalms because it's such picturesque, poetic language. Um, Think about when you fall, when you blow it, when you made a mistake, you did what you know you weren't supposed to do, and now you're suffering the consequences, does that make you feel like going to God and saying, hey, it's your boy here, you know, I need some help? No, of course not. You want to run away from God. You want to hide in the shame. And what this says is that the Lord sees the fallen, people who have tripped up, tripped over their own feet, and he helps them. He's available to you. He's available to you. And then the next picture, lift those bent beneath their loads. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sometimes life just puts so much on our shoulders that we wonder if we'll be able to carry it. It puts so much on our shoulders that we begin to bend and perhaps break under the weight. And what's this say? God is his powerful goodness is available and he's going to come alongside you and lift that load. He lifts that load. I love the way the message translation puts this one. God gives a hand to those down on their luck. He gives a fresh start to those ready to quit. So often when people were making a change in life, I prescribe a clean break and God gives you a fresh start. What do you need to make a clean break from? Where does God want to give you a fresh start? Write a new ending to your story. And then, again, poetic language goes on to say, the eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. All of creation, the picture there, is looking to God for provision, and he's there ready to open his hand and provide whatever is needed. In fact, the next verse says, when you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. Your God is good and powerful and available to you. In summary, the Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. As the message puts it, God's there listening for all who pray. Sometimes we think we have to get God's attention. In the parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal who has run away and prodigiously wasted all, if that's a word, all of his father's resources, decides to come home. He's empty-handed, he's repentant, but he's blown it, and the father is there, he sees him from a distance. Now, what does that mean? Think about, let's meditate that on, for, um, on that for a second. In order to see somebody at a distance, you have to be outside or looking, right? And so here, the father of the prodigal is scanning the horizon because he can't wait for his son to come home. He, sometimes we get the sense that God is kind of backed up and arms crossed. And here this verse is saying, look, he's, he is right there. He is close. He, he, he's leaning in, listening, waiting for that prayer of entreaty and help. And so that he can leverage his powerful goodness for us. 
Um, goes on, he grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. We've encountered this so much through the Psalms. Remember, hearing just doesn't mean sound waves hitting the eardrums. It means action. When you hear something, you are acting on it. He hears their cries for help, and he rescues them. And in summary, God sticks by all who love him, but it's all over for those who don't. Now, this is the, the one kind of cautionary note in this whole psalm. And it, it's almost as if he's saying, look, this is when God is your king, this is what happens. And he spends the whole thing talking about how good God is and how powerful he is and how right there available he is. And maybe some people will say, you know, that's just not my experience. I, I, I haven't had that experience. And I think he's throwing this in there just as a reminder. This isn't for everybody. This is for those whose God is king, who, who, who the Lord is king in their life. Because God sticks by all those who love him, but it's all over for those who don't. Just a reminder that maybe if you haven't had this experience, if this isn't your story, it could be because you're not a part of his kingdom. God is not your king. And how do we remedy that? Well, Jesus came and made that possible. When we say yes to Jesus, what we're doing is saying yes to his forgiveness that he bought for us on the cross so that we don't have a guilty conscience before God. We can come to him without guilt, without hesitation, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And then we accept Jesus as king and Lord. He's the one that gets to call the shots. And when you say yes to Jesus, when God is your king, then you can expect to experience God's goodness and his power leverage for you. And what will be the result? You're going to tell that story. You're going to have stories to tell. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Today we've been reminded of God's character, that my God, my king, is good, po powerful, good, and available. Now, practically speaking, what do we do with that? What if you decided, you know, I've said yes to Jesus. God is my king. Jesus is the Lord of my life. What if I just acted on that truth that God is good, that he's powerful, and that he's right there available? Now, we're going to have doubts. We're going to pray things that don't immediately come to pass, and we're going to wonder what's going on. But what if everything that I've taught you here today, everything that God has taught us through this psalm is true? What would your life look like? What would, how, how would you act if you knew that every blocked agenda was God saving you from something or for something? What would you do if you knew that the resources of this all-powerful God were there for you, that there's nothing that he can't accomplish? And what would you do if you knew that it only took a word? that when you call on him, he will answer you. It might not be in the way that you want. It might not be in the timing that you expect. But what if all of this was true? What would you do? 
What step of faith would you take? How would your life change? What actions would you begin? What things would you stop? What stories would you tell? I believe that God wants to give you stories to tell of his goodness, of his power, and his availability. So let's act as if God is the king he says he is and see what stories he gives us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you because we believe even though our doubts creep up and even though our circumstances will lie to us and our feelings are fickle, Lord, we believe and affirm that these things are true. My God, the King, is powerful and good and available. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would show us exactly how you want to apply this to our lives and that you would give us the strength, the faith, the courage to act accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.